Hello, Varmidians. This is Paul. You know, Donna and I are coming up on our 100th episode. I can't believe it. And for the 100th episode, we're going to do something really special. First off, we have a contest for you, the listener. The Cell Phone Photo Backyard Wildlife Contests. Take a picture of some wildlife in your backyard, at a zoo, at your nature preserve, with your cell phone, and send it to us. First prize is going to get a Varmint's prize pack, including an original signed piece of artwork of your favorite Varmint by Blazing Caribou Studios podcaster and artist Phil Rude. Second and third prizes are going to get some cool stuff as well. We have very specific rules, so go to blazingcariboustudios.com slash varmintscontest. That's blazingcariboustudios.com slash varmintscontest. Or if you're a member of the Varmints Discussion Group on Facebook, we'll post the rules there as well. And we'll announce the winners of that contest on our 100th episode, where we'll be talking about emus, and we'll be joined by Corbin Maxey. Corbin Maxey is a nationally recognized animal nerd, biologist, and television personality. He's been on some television shows you might have heard of, The Today Show, Late Night with Seth Meyers, Inside Edition, and The Martha Stewart Show. We're really looking forward to episode 100, and we hope you are too. You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Studios. Meet one of nature's beauties, the dragonfly. An insect so perfectly formed that it's hardly changed in 300 million years. But it's also the nastiest bug on the riverbank, a dragon with a taste for damsels. A winged attacker with a beastly temperament. So is the dragonfly a beauty or a beast? Hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul. I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. And today, we are talking about the dragonfly. Woohoo! But first, a little bit of housekeeping. All right, so we got some great iTunes reviews we want to catch up on. And the first one is from Odd. She says, this is a great show to get introduced to all creatures of every size and shape. And it's also just a good way for animal lovers to relax. Paul and Donna break the show up into good little portions of information and are good about providing helpful show notes for people who want to know more about each animal. Like a lot of two-person shows, they take a nice conversational tone with each other and strike a good balance between having fun and sharing facts. Great show to listen to with your kids or your friends. Thank you Thank so much, Odd. That's awesome. Yeah. And then we have one from Thunderdog17449. <laughs> Sounds like a secret agent name. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is the complete package of entertainment, education, and eccentric hosts. I listen to every episode the day it comes out. Well, thank you very much, Thunderdog17449. That is tremendous. You have thousands and thousands of podcasts to choose from. And you're listening to ours, and we really, really do appreciate it. 
Yes, we do. We also got a little message in our email box from Sylvia. Sylvia was a rug rat on a few of our shows, and she just felt like saying hi. Hello. Hi, Sylvia. Hi, Don and Paul. Can you do a podcast on Good Privilege, and can I be the last person to do it? <laughs> <laughs> and you're invited to my two sleepovers. All right. It's for tonight. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, I'm enjoying a nice bath right now. <laughs> I send you huggies. Wait, what did you want to about? Are you trying to trick us when you say that you're not animal experts, but you actually are? <laughs> Bye. 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 Uh, no, we like bathtub messages. That's really cool. Fun yeah, that's baths awesome. are a good time. Absolutely. But, no, we are not experts. We are not biologists. We are not zoologists. I think there, if there was an animal expert, who would it be? Maybe David Attenborough? <laughs> Somebody like that? He would be hesitant about calling himself an animal expert because even at 90 years old, that guy is still fascinated and constantly learning, you know? Yeah, that's the thing, is the minute you think you know everything there is to know, there's just more to know, so nobody can really be an expert. But I guess yep. yeah, we're very far from that, so we're just enthusiasts. Yes, we're not trying to trick you. And that's a little uh, important life lesson for you, Sylvia. Anybody that calls themselves an expert on anything is probably trying to sell you something. And, you know, they might just need to remember that they need to learn some more things. There's more things to learn all the time. Always. And there certainly are people that are experts at things, but most people like to leave a little bit of room to learn new things. Always be willing to learn new things, and thank you so much for your little message. We, we really, really do appreciate it, Sylvia. Yes, for sure. All right, just a reminder, everybody, to go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at at varmanspodcast, all one word, and at varmanspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. I also run a Pinterest board for each animal we cover on the show, and the link to that will always be in the show notes at the bottom of the page. Or you can put Varmint's podcast into the search engine at Pinterest and you'll find our boards. Now you can get Varmint's merchandise at tpublic.com. Put Varmint's in the search over there and you'll find t-shirts and mugs and a whole lot of other wonderful stuff. So let's get on with the show. If you like it, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast. We're everywhere that podcasts are found. And word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow. Hey! Hey! Let's go get educated on some animals. I know you wanna. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking about dragonflies today. Dragonflies are insects belonging to the order Odonata. Odonata. Yeah. Adult dragonflies are characterized by large, multifaceted eyes, two pairs of strong, transparent wings, and an elongated body. Dragonflies can sometimes be mistaken for damselflies. The easiest way to tell a damselfly from a dragonfly is that a damselfly can fold its wings in toward its abdomen, but a dragonfly's wings are always extended. Fossils of dragonflies have been found, and those fossils indicate that they've been around for a minute. 
somewhere yeah. on the order of 325 million years. So when dinosaurs roamed the earth, dragonflies were here. As of 2010, over 3,000 species of dragonflies were identified. New species are being found all the time. They are found on every continent except Antarctica, from sea level right on up to the tops of mountains. Wherever there is fresh water to be found, you're probably going to find dragonflies. A large group of insects is called a swarm, and that is also true of the dragonfly. Male and female dragonflies are just called male and female dragonflies, and baby dragonflies are called nymphs. The origin of the name dragonfly is really not definitive. There are folk tales of Romanian, Native American, and Swedish origin. There are all these wonderful stories to explain the origin of the name. Most online sources cite the Romanian tale as the origin of the term dragonfly, but again, the etymology of the word is really, really sketchy. Dragonfly just kind of fits nicely, and just let's not overthink it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't overanalyze. Yeah, just dragonfly. It works. (laughs) So... I'm going to talk about how the wings of a dragonfly help it accelerate rapidly due to their asynchronous operation. This is an article from asknature.org that I'm going to link to the show notes and you guys can take a look. Dragonflies flap and pitch their wings at a rate of about 40 hertz, creating whirlwinds. And a peculiarity of the dragonfly is its use of a rowing motion along an inclined stroke plane. So if you look at a video of dragonfly wings flying, you'll see what we're talking about. When they hover, their body lies almost horizontal and the wings push backward and downward at the end of the stroke. Feather and slice upward and forward. In contrast, many other hovering insects use a symmetrical back and forth stroke near the horizontal stroke plane. The dragonfly's asymmetric rowing motion allows it to support much of its weight by the upward drag created during the downstroke. So for the more common symmetric motion, the drag roughly just cancels out. It belongs to Odonata, as we said, and it's one of the most ancient insect orders, and the fore and hind wings are controlled by separate muscles. And distinctive feature of the dragonfly's wing movement is the phase relation between those wings during various maneuvers. When it hovers, the fore and hind wings tend to beat out of phase, and during takeoff, they tend to beat closer in phase. So why does it vary the phase in different maneuvers? One plausible explanation is that alternating the downstroke reduces body oscillation. That is only part of the story, though. The fore and hind wings are about a wing width apart, close enough for them to interact hydrodynamically. Is it hydrodynamically? Mm-hmm. Not aerodynamically? Yep. Okay, just making sure I heard that right. Yes, because it is the liquid inside their bodies that's powering the muscle. Oh, okay. Wow, cool. So, in spite of all this complexity, there are two general results that emerge. The aerodynamic power that's expended is actually reduced when the wings move out of phase, and the force is enhanced when the wings move in phase. So, when the fore and the hind wings beat out of phase, they approach each other, from the opposite sides and cross near the midstroke. The forewings experience an induced flow due to the hind wings and vice versa. So what this means is that the drag on the wings is reduced as is the power expended in flapping. So they really don't have to spend a lot of power flying. Wow. 
Yeah, the reduction in drag on the two types of wing points is in opposite directions, so the net force, or the force you have left over, is essentially unaffected. So in other words, the counterstroking allows the dragonfly to generate nearly the same force while saving aerodynamic power. If, instead, the foreign hind wings beat in phase, they experience higher drag due to the induced flow. So, in this case, the increase in drag on all the wing points is in the same direction. So, therefore, the interaction results in a greater net force that can be used to accelerate, as needed, during takeoff. So, and then the cost of that is greater power expenditure. So basically what all of this means is the, the way their wings move, and if you look at a video close up of their wings moving, they save a ton of energy, which means that they expend almost nothing in flight. They burn almost no calories flying. It, wow. They're that good at it. It's really slick, the design. So... That is amazing. Pretty neat. So this will be more important later when I talk about their migrations, but this should probably tell you how they're able to go so far on so little caloric intake. Oh, man. They're like little drones. Yes, exactly. They're drones that are 300 million years old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. it's important to remember that their body plan has not changed in the whole time they've been on the planet, except to get smaller. Oh, wow. They, They were exactly the same 400 billion years ago as they are now, as far as the way their wings work, that everything about their body, the way it's shaped, and everything about the way it's functioned, unchanged, except they got smaller. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yep, that means that it's pretty darn near perfect. It's pretty darn near the most perfect thing that nature could come up with, <laughs> or one of, one of the most perfect things. So, Does its job incredibly effectively. Absolutely. Yeah. When you think of the deadliest animal hunters on Earth, you probably immediately think of, like, the big cats, your, your tigers, your leopards, your lions. Perhaps you think of great white sharks, maybe even wolves. What you don't see on nature documentaries are all the misses. So big cats are lucky to catch about 25% of the prey they pursue. Great white sharks, they're successful about half the time. Mm -hmm. And wolves are a little bit more successful, but they have to hunt in packs to be successful. And they aren't always successful, and they share what they catch, and lone wolves are very, very susceptible to starvation. Dragonflies kind of blow them out of the water. And the secrets to their success lie in their brains and their eyes. So the nervous system of a dragonfly is capable of selective attention. Now what that is, is if you can pay attention to a conversation that somebody is having with you at a party or a concert where there's a lot of noise, you are using selective attention. And that is not a universal animal trait. Dragonflies are capable of focusing their attention on a single insect, even in a cloud of other insects. That is crazy. Yeah. One doctor who explored dragonfly brains said, It suggests the possibility of a top-down process of selective attention of the sort we normally associate with high-order thinking. So here we have a simple brain of less than a million neurons behaving like our own brain of a hundred billion neurons. That is crazy. It, it's nuts. A dragonfly's eyes take up pretty much their entire heads. They are two giant spheres with about 30,000 facets. They can see in complete 360. Wow. Yeah. They can see you when they're flying toward you, and they can still see you when they're flying away. Dang. 
So these eyes, in conjunction with their brains and the little flight motor sensor that is located in their thorax, it doesn't just allow the dragonfly to see, those mechanisms also allow the dragonfly to constantly calculate a trajectory to intercept its target, and it only has to make very, very minor adjustments to its path, and it can do this very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. The hunting success rate of a dragonfly is about 95%. Holy smokes. Yes. And the people that study them say that uh, basically the insects that they hunt, it's over with before they even know what happened. Wow. Because they're so quick. Yeah. So yeah, dragonflies, they're, they're beautiful, but hunting and mating is just what they do, and they are almost never satisfied. They target one insect, they catch it, they consume it, and without even landing, they move right on to the next one. There was a researcher who watched a laboratory dragonfly eat 30 flies in a row, and he said it would have happily kept eating if there had been more food available. <laughs> dragonflies, they are the deadliest hunters in the animal kingdom. That's crazy. <laughs> it is. It's amazing. That is amazing. They they really are a lot of, like, world firsts, you know? Yeah. They're the most deadly hunters. They travel the farthest of any insect. They're crazy. <laughs> they're, they're, they're amazing. Yeah, well, they've had millions and millions of years to adapt and get those, get those abilities just fine-tuned until they're almost perfect. It's just a body plan that just seems to be able to survive just about anything. Because, anything. I mean, they're on every continent, every yep. continent in the world and they went and out and explored the world thousands and thousands millions of years before humans were even thought of <laughs> yep it's really so, incredible it is insane disclaimer time the farmers podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence but then don and paul only have the yardstick of themselves so they're going to do it anyway. So most of the things I read about a dragonfly's intelligence were kind of related to their brains and what I just talked about, their selective attention and their ability to just focus on one thing and not get distracted. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that is intelligence. It's just kind of innate. You know, that's just nature yeah. kind of doing its thing. I mean, it just seems like onboard, you know. Onboard just... stuff. Native skill, if you yep. will. Yep. So, I don't know, like a two? <laughs> I don't know. I Like two or three, you know? Two or three are a little they're arbitrary. They're really, really super good, but they're not super great problem solvers. No. So. No. I mean, as as amazing as their eyeballs are, they can't see spider webs. So <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it must not be that much of a hindrance because they're everywhere. And, right. you know, they don't have any difficulty surviving, so they apparently don't lose that many to spiders but uh yeah so yeah and here's the other thing if they fall in the water they're done right so yeah figure it out dragonflies yeah well i think they're like we already did we just make more dragonflies it's not <laughs> that's <a> true <laughs> oh our dumb little arbitrary intelligence number yeah it's it's really stupid but it's ours yep <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we are going to talk about dragonflies some more, but we're going to do that right after this. This is Kim, your friendly neighborhood ER nurse. I'm the host of People Are Wild, the only podcast that claims to bring medical entertainment, medutainment, on a weekly basis. I can be found on your favorite podcast listening app, iTunes, and Google Play, 
And you can talk to me on Twitter at PeopleAreWild. Well, this here's Animal Rancher and Expert at Large, Cotton Shorts. You know Paul and Don are just a couple of nerds like you, and they don't usually get to see animals in the wild. But so we'll talk about where they usually do get to see them, which is to say on popular culture, books, movies, television, and video games. Uh, As far as pop culture goes, it's a desert when it comes to dragonflies. Yep. So... We don't really have a whole lot of pop culture to tell you about, but we are going to talk about a couple of documentaries that are worth your while. And the first one is called Dragonfly Beauty or Beast, and it's a David Attenborough documentary. We love David Attenborough so much. Usually when we don't find a whole lot of pop culture on something, we can generally count on a clip of David Attenborough talking about the animal that we're going to talk about. And uh, he is tremendous. He's a great guy. So in Dragonfly Beauty or Beast... David Attenborough narrates this documentary about the Emperor Dragonfly, and the Emperor Dragonfly is one of nature's beauties, yet also an aggressive tyrant who's always on the warpath, controlling his subjects with a reign of terror. (laughs) We'll put the link to the YouTube video. You can find this documentary on YouTube, but the audio and the video are not synced up, and it might drive you nuts to watch it, but do keep an eye out for, for this documentary because it's really good. Again, it's called Dragonfly beauty or beast. Now, the other thing I want to play for you today is that a few years ago, David Attenborough had a dragonfly named after him, which is really cool. So here's this. Well, probably one of the highest tributes for anyone working in the natural world is to have a newly discovered species named after them. In fact, David, I know you have quite a number already named after you. Um, It's your birthday. So one of the world's foremost dragonfly experts wanted to give you a little gift. Here is Klaus Dudikstra. On your 90th birthday, I want to wish you not only many more years of good health and of broadcasting, but I wish everyone more of you. And to thank you, I've named, together with colleagues, a dragonfly in your honor, Asisoma Atsambarawai. Your new dragonfly is from Madagascar, and I'm happy to report that your dragonfly is actually very common. Every farmer can find it in her paddy. Every fisherman can see it in his pond. Every schoolchild can find it in the yard. It simply is another one of those species that is unique, but no one noticed that it was. But now people can go out there and say, hey, look, that is Sir David's dragonfly. Thank you, and happy birthday. (laughs) And here it is. There it is, David, a very special little birthday gift, Asasoma Atambarai. Rather beautiful, don't you think? I think it's stunningly beautiful. Dragonflies are magical insects, aren't they? You know, they, they date back for 300 million years. Just like that, yeah. Extraordinary. What a thrill. That just made me so happy, and I wanted to share that. And, uh, yeah, serve David Dragonfly. Yes, yeah, Sir David Dragonfly. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. David Attenborough is the man. Yes. Well, I found another documentary called Sky Hunters, The World of the Dragonfly. And it is not narrated by Sir David Attenborough, but it is narrated by a really cool guy. (laughs) Yeah, his voice is amazing. It is 
really informative. Talks about all of the different stuff and it even goes into some details about some differences with the damselfly and everything. So definitely check that out. Here's a little quote from the beginning of that documentary. This is one of the most successful life forms on our planet. They existed a hundred million years before the dinosaurs. They're skilled at aerobatics and they're merciless predators. Their appearance and their life cycle are so strange they could be visitors from another world. These are the dragonflies. Yeah, it's really cool. Cool. It's neat. I had my dad watch that one yesterday and he really liked it. So. Cool. And that's on YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll put the link into the show notes. But it's called Guy Hunters, the World of the Dragonfly. Sweet. Because they are the best sky hunters. <laughs> They're amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't you know I have this lovely pot pie ready to go in the oven. Isn't that gorgeous? Tell me you wouldn't put that in your food box. What do you think, Donna? In the food box? No, come on. What do you think? It's an insect. Probably no. not. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so I was thinking earlier this week that I, I think I have to, you know, 92 episodes in, I have to change my perspective a little bit on this food segment because I tend to look at these animals and I'm just thinking main course when maybe I should be thinking like side dish or appetizer or snack or amuse-bouche. Mm. I just wanted to say amuse-bouche. Amuse-bouche. I just wanted to say that. So hors like d'oeuvre. With, <laughs> or an hors d'oeuvre. So like with ants a couple of weeks ago, I said no, but if you just gave me like a handful of ants, yeah, maybe. Like here's ah. some ants to tide you over. So a dragonfly or two? I don't know, maybe. Eh. Eh. <laughs> See, I think you really are a chameleon. <laughs> Every bug, you're like, I don't know, that might be good. Like, no, Paul, that only only reptiles eat insects. <laughs> I've only said no to one insect, and that was ants, and then I second-guessed myself afterwards. I was like, eh, maybe I would. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said no to mosquitoes. I said no way to mosquitoes, and I stand by that. Well, everybody's eaten a mosquito by accident, so... <laughs> I think we all have a pretty objective viewpoint on that. Especially if you've ridden a motorcycle, you've definitely eaten a mosquito. You know what? Hmm. Mosquitoes are in the dragonfly food box. I'm sure they are. And Let's... dragonflies are in the kitty cat food box. You know how I know? <laughs> dragonflies are in a lot of food boxes. Let's play this. Well, hello, Paul. Don, it's me, Billy Lee Campbell. Well, hello. <laughs> I'm here to ask you a question. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Well, let's help you win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the Animal Fact of the Week. Back to you, Paul and Donna. Oh, thank you, Billy. Billy has seen a dragonfly or two in his day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, dragonflies are really, really important. They are not a keystone species, but... Dragonflies eat mosquitoes and other biting insects literally from the day they are born. As nymphs, they eat mosquito larvae in the water, 
And as adults, they eat mosquitoes, horseflies, deerflies, anything that bites you and makes your life miserable. Dragonflies eat it. Go, dragonflies! Yeah! Dragonflies are also food for other things, making them an important part of any ecosystem because they're in the food chain. So frogs, lizards, fish, birds, and the occasional mammal, like your cat, eat dragonflies. <laughs> because they are so low in the food chain, they are what's called ecological indicators. So the presence of dragonflies indicates that there's fresh water nearby. Scientific study of their numbers and health can reveal changes in water ecosystems more quickly than studying the bigger animals and plants in the area. So some national parks are beginning to use dragonflies to survey and document the health of the park's water ecosystems. Lots of dragonflies means a healthy water ecosystem. So just like you can create a butterfly garden, you can create your own dragonfly habitat. Yeah, just don't do it if you already have a butterfly garden or you're raising honeybees because dragonflies will eat those too and that's a that's a really great way to have a nature documentary in your own backyard. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you can see that 95% rate 95% success rate with your own eyes. Yes. <laughs> but if you have a small 10 to 25 gallon aquarium, you can get dragonfly nymphs at a bait shop and you can raise your own dragonflies at home. You can release them into the wild, or even you can you can keep them as pets in a terrarium if you want to. Or you can just build a little pond, a little habitat in your backyard if you have a big enough backyard and you're allowed to do that in your backyard. If that sounds like something you want to do, you can visit our show notes. We'll have links there to create your very own small or large dragonfly habitat. Nice. Yeah. That is excellent. Well... Dragonflies, as we mentioned earlier, when we were talking about their amazing wings, these wings let them have the longest insect migration in the world. Wow. Yep. Every year, millions of dragonflies fly thousands of kilometers across the sea from southern India to Africa. So. Man, that's longer than butterflies. Yeah, it's the longest in the world. That's nuts. A biologist in the Maldives claims to have discovered the longest migration of any insect, and as nobody's been able to gainsay him so far. <laughs> but it still needs to be completely confirmed. This species, it's going to dwarf the trip by monarch butterflies by a lot. Yeah. If, yeah, if, it's, if it turns out to be so. And I, I, it sounds like it probably is, but... Each year, millions of dragonflies arrive on the Maldive Islands, and no one knew where they came from until this biologist started looking into it. Their appearance is especially weird because the 1,200 islands that make up the Maldives lie 500 to 1,000 kilometers from mainland of southern India, and all are coral caves with almost no surface fresh water, which they need to complete their life cycle. So this scientist Anderson noticed the dragonflies after he arrived in the Maldives in 1983, and he started keeping detailed records each year from 1996 and now collates data collected by local observers and other localities in the Maldives and India and on vessels at sea. When he compared his observations with those made of dragonflies appearing in southern India, he found that a clear progression of arrival dates from north to south is happening with dragonflies arriving first in southern India, then in the Republic of Maldives, and then on the more southerly atolls. So each year they first appear 
uh, as the mails come between the 4th and 23rd of October with a mean arrival date of the 21st of October and the dragonfly numbers peak in November and December. So before the insects then disappear right after that. So they arrive in waves with each wave staying for no more than a few days. They are clearly migrating from India across the open sea to the Maldives. And that is a journey of 600 to 800 kilometers across the ocean. Wow. The documentary we were watching said that people have seen them out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, like 500 kilometers out away from shore. Oh my gosh, a dragonfly. Hello. <laughs> wow. That's where those wings come in handy. Yeah, and how, how they were doing this is somewhat of a mystery. But so he's deduced that they are flying all the way across the Western Indian Ocean to East Africa. And they also start appearing in the northern Seychelles, which are 2,700 kilometers from India. And it matches their slow southerly movement in the intertropical convergence zone weather system, which is uh, from India to East Africa, where the winds blow. So... All of the evidence is strongly suggestive that dragonflies are taking advantage of the moving weather systems and the monsoon rains to complete these migrations from southern India to the east and southern areas of Africa, and then probably back again. So it's a round trip of 14,000 to 18,000 kilometers. That's crazy. It is incredible. The species involved breeds in temporary rainwater pools, so it's following the rain. And it's taking sequential advantage of the monsoon rains of India and the short rains of each Africa. And then the southern rains of southern Africa, they're like following each monsoon. (laughs) (laughs) And it may seem remarkable, he says, that such a massive migration has gone unnoticed until now. But it just illustrates how little we know about our natural world. Cue the we're not experts conversation. Like, this is why. (laughs) Everybody thought they knew everything about this. And uh, nope. So Wow. Yep, they think that they survived the ocean flights by gliding on the winds and feeding on other small insects that are out there. And they also take four generations to make their full round trip each year because oh these animals only live to be, you know, <laughs> six, seven, eight weeks old. Seven and eight weeks is pretty old for a dragonfly. Right. Um, and then there's a migratory paths of a number of insect-eating bird species like cuckoos and night jars and falcons and bee-eaters they follow the dragonfly migration. They fly at the same time as the altitudes of the dragonflies. And uh, all of this hasn't been realized before. This is all really, really new. So there's a ton of information to still find out about this. So, yes, dragonflies appear to be the longest migrating insect in the world. That is amazing. I, ca- I can't even last like six or seven hours on a car on a road trip. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. This podcast has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent is Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Stacey and Frosty, and Andrea Freitas, who is one of the people that suggested this episode. Thank you so much, Andrea. And now it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat that's eight years of age or younger that wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it super easy for your rugrat to hear their voice on the podcast. So here we go. 
Yes, this week's Rugrat is Dexter. Dexter has something to say about dragonflies. Uh, they've been around for, uh, I think, 3,000 years. Uh, they have two big wings. They can see faster than we do because their head moves fast, so fast, because it when somebody shooted a pea, he looked at it when it went, even though it was like so fast. They see in fast motion. But if it was like big enough and if and it would grow when I would be an adult. And I could ride it every day for a bicycle ride. You would, you would ride it like a bicycle? <laughs> <laughs> like the head would be the... The handlebars? Yeah. And <laughs> there would be invisible pedals because they weren't real. Actually, the wings would be the pedals. But I wouldn't really touch them. <laughs> it would be a boy and I would name it... Doomfighter. Alright. Doomfighter. I name everything Doomfighter. <laughs> <laughs> he names everything Doomfighter. I love that. Please always continue to do that. Yeah, if we could get the dragonflies of 400 million years ago, you could probably ride them. <laughs> if you could get it not to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and call them Doomfighter. You should also call them Doomfighter. Exactly. <laughs> I Thank love you, his Dexter. His imagination is awesome. It is. <laughs> Thanks everybody again for listening and until next time. Be nice to animals. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com/blazingcariboustudios.